This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, my father. Hi, Ernie. How are you, Mom? Oh, good. <laughs> a busy morning, but uh, oh, okay. glad to be able to talk. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, of course, since, I, since you were here in person for my, my birthday and mom's <laughs> birthday, we uh, yeah. had other conversations. Yeah. <laughs> How's life back in Illinois? Well, uh, still, uh, <laughs> yes, still uh, catching up on <laughs> everything. I didn't realize there'll be jet lag from California. <laughs> mm. <laughs> anyway, um, let me go to the other room. Uh, okay. Get the book and go to the other room. Okay. We just finished talking to Sita Siti and uh, Mr. Tapa, uh, our oh, weekly nice. talk, and just got off the phone from them. And um, okay, uh, <laughs> are we on chapter seven? <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm sorry, remember chapter six. It was the uh, one where what was six? Where um, he goes to. Uh, the other area, and then he England, comes he back and finds about all. No, yeah, he we finished the one where he think... comes back. Right, but I thought the no, the last chapter was the one where everything's because of the political interference from the the last chapter, the uh, the really obnoxious German or British consulate uh, officer guy. Tells him that Buckland has to leave Bahrain, and he gets settled. I think in this uh, this chapter, the focus is actually not on Shaklin, but on his sister, because when right. Shaklin gets kicked out of Bahrain, there's all these riots, yeah. and the sister basically saves the life of the jerk, yeah, and throws up, and it becomes scandalous or well before he gossiped uh, across the entire Middle East. And that leads to some emotional moments between uh, our hero and the girl. Okay, see, before that, um, one of the things um, I think we talked about was um, the conversation between uh, in the, the uh, chapter seven, yeah, all the stories happened, but when uh, Carter comes back, Tom Carter comes back, he's mm-hmm. the one who's going to talk to um, Connie Shacklin about, uh, uh, you know, him has, having to leave. Right. Uh, so he comes back, Tom Carter, just for clarity, Tom Carter comes back, and then the British officer jerk guy tells Cutter. Connie has to leave. Yeah, yeah, but then it's uh, Cutter's uh, job to tell Connie that he has to leave. Right, yeah, right. Uh, and then that conversation is where what you had talked about before comes in. It's mm. like this. We'll just touch on it briefly if you want to go to the next chapter we could. And he said, but, you know, um, he says that, uh, you know, only one person is damaged by this, and uh, Cutter says, who's that? And he says, you. 
Carter says, I'm not damaged, nothing happened to me. Uh, then go on, and then um, he talks to him about that, and then he, uh, this is what uh, Connie says. Um, you thought it for the best to give up all the delights of the world and come back to this hot, barren place of difficulties and insults. Why did you do that, you hard-headed man? Did you do it for a penance? Did you do it for a penance? And I don't know, I said. If I did, I got plenty to do penance for. And Connie yeah. says, uh, so have all men, but all men don't do it. Carter <laughs> says, I don't know that I'm doing it either. As regards selling the business, I nearly did sell it. I only rejected the idea on final inspection. And Connie says, half a thousand too small. The difference between right and wrong. Half a thousand bigger, and it would be right. As it is, it's wrong, and you can't cheat about it. He smiled again. Too bad when God gives you the mind of an inspector, isn't it? I laughed. You better get into the hangar if you're going to talk that sort of stuff. <laughs> he smiled. <laughs> I can't talk my beliefs here very much longer. When do you want me to go? So you said that one of the, one of the times we talked about it, you thought that Butter was doing this as a penance for Beryl. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, also and that's going to come up again this chapter too. Yeah, I, 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 I okay. So okay, we, so we go to um, so they they he comes uh, the last paragraph on chapter seven is where you're talking about. They are a very in a tender moment where she um, puts her arms around him and and poor Tom and stayed like that for a long time. And it was no good starting off upon another barrel. Presently, I got up and smiled at her and said, thanks. That is not, that was good of you. And then I went out to the station wagon and drove. So he is thinking about his wife all the time. His dead and wife, yeah. He, uh, yeah, his dead ex, uh, yeah, dead wife. Uh, and um, maybe because of that, he's afraid to start another relationship looks like yeah the way i interpreted that mm. is that there is that he believed contrary mm. to what everyone else around him believed that it mm. was a character flaw in himself that killed beryl yeah yeah he, he, right he, and exactly yeah, what that he, is is he, unclear yeah, yeah. He, but he's responsible for it because they care for with himself and what's interesting is that he finds a measure of absolution in sort of devoting his life to, uh, like you and so right, so right, and so the the reason he tells himself consciously after praying mm. is that you know it's just not right to um, leave this job unfinished, right? There's this huge mess here, and I helped create it by encouraging Shacklin. And like I can't just like dump that on another company. That just doesn't make any right. sense. Right. Right. But you know, it is entirely plausible for him to have said, "Give me two weeks. Let me go back, try and sort this thing out, move Shocklin out, resolve the issue with the British consulate, and then I'll come back and marry this girl next door." Right. 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 If that was really what he wanted to do, he mm. could have found a way to it. But, you know, it, it definitely gives you the sense that he's more comfortable 
in this sort of hair shirt, hard scrabble world, uh, and that, you know, if this issue hadn't come up, he may have talked himself into accepting the, you know, quiet life with the beautiful girl in the uh, posh garage. And take, and take care of parents. Right. Don't, but, forget, you know, don't forget taking care of parents. <laughs> that's what the primary, what the primary <laughs> motivation, actually. Yeah, right? It's Not a bad one. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, sure. Side note, my daughter watched Adam's Family, uh, yeah. the original cartoon version uh, of yeah. the movie. And if this is, and the, the mother always says to the daughter, don't forget to kick your father goodnight. And ever since then, every night when I put uh, your granddaughter to sleep, she like sneaks up and kicks me. <laughs> so, you know, that's the idea of taking care of your parents. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to kick them good night. <laughs> oh, anyway. Oh, to kick her, but yeah, yeah, anyway. So, anyway, the, um, the random side note for posterity. Um, the, so, yeah, the interesting thing is that like one wonders, right? This is mm. something hypothetical, which we don't really know the answer to, is if yeah. he had not gotten that cable mm. about, because you know, Stockholm yeah, said nothing best. about all of his troubles. Is the good right. thing, I believe, was when he sent the cable about this, and that right. was what triggered him, this deep soul searching and this whole decision. Like if if Goodrich thing, like a Stockland had found out Goodrich was about to send that cable and stopped him from doing it, right. You know, if he had got, you know, would he have still gone ahead and married her? And like, if he found out about it later, he would have felt bad, but it was too late because he would have sold the company. And would he have been able to be happy? Right. Yeah. So one scenario is that like, okay, it was a weird twist of fate and the author's cruelty to steal him from it. And he actually mm. could have been happy if he had just let it go. Or, you know, what seems more plausible given what we see of his character yeah. He would always felt a bit guilty about yeah, of that, <laughs> b- b- about leaving Socklin and le- right. le- like leaving Beryl, right? Yeah. Like th- that, in fact, the so the interesting idea is that by being, we talked about this weird, non pseudo romantic relationship between him and Connie. Uh, mm. Sorry, when they got married many times in the first chapter, and like in some ways, by not running out on Connie. It is like a, well, so there's penance and there's restitution and there's redemption, yeah. right? That's what's interesting yeah. to me is that like, there's at least a hope that he's finding redemption, but in sense, to me, redemption is really about, we talk about the city of redemptive grace, right? Of not yeah. just yeah. covering over, but transforming the thing that was damaged yeah. so it actually becomes stronger, right? Yeah. And it's clear at the end of this chapter by his, um, being haunted by Beryl and his fear, which he didn't seem to have with this girl in England. Uh, like there's something there that he still hasn't dealt with. And yeah. I think one of the questions is, like, why does this trigger him now mm. that it didn't trigger him with uh, whatever the girl's name is in England? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you still there? Yeah. Yeah. I get cut off. Okay, I'm getting some weird no, no, no. crosstalk on the line. Um, mm. So one, the more generous possibility mm. is that he kind of married Burial under duress. 
right? Because like in the middle of a war, yeah. he's getting shipped out yeah. and all this. He had to things. leave. Yeah. He was kind he of rushed, leave, yeah. right? So the Genesis Convention, and you may know more about this from the rest of the story. It's not mm. that he's opposed to having a relationship with this girl in general, mm. but doing it under this sort of under duress circumstances with his yeah. brother God yeah. and him here. Like it's like okay, if I let things go further now, it would be a sort of false relationship. And that, okay. you know, if things change out later and become more calm and we can have a more, yeah. like, I, I read, there was this one um, uh, TV show I watched briefly called Royal Pains. I don't mm. know if it was ever any good, but it was about this guy who's a disgraced doctor who moves out to the Hamptons and is surrounded by all these rich people. Mm. And he saves this supermodel's life and mm. she falls in love with him. And he goes, you know, this is just the Nightingale syndrome, you know, mm. because of this circumstance. Like, if you think this is real, wait 30 days, and then come back mm. to me. And if you still have feelings for me, then we'll talk about it. Oh, okay. You know, and uh, <laughs> so, so, so that vision is like, that, like, okay, it's not that he thinks he's permanently damaged, undeserving of happiness. He's just mm. uh, wisely skittish of forming attachments in the midst of highly emotionally charged environments. So, but don't they uh, say that about people who, you know, I mean, don't they say that about people who break relationships or whose relationships are... Are broken that uh, so don't go get into another relationship right away. Wait a bit and all that. Right. Yeah. No. Like I said, like it's possible he's being wise, hmm. right? In terms of like not wanting to rush into something. Yeah. Uh, right. Under these circumstances, it's possible he's being cowardly. Yeah. Right. It's also possible that he's being foolish. But 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 but, but the real question is: there's two questions. Uh, one is he still broken? Right, is the mm. thing that was wrong with him that caused barrel jet is that still within him? Yeah. And is he does he know how to either uh it, it, so it seems like it's still there. Yeah. Right? Like it, he, it wasn't it was yeah. yeah. It, he has now though it's possible, like with most, most failures, to retain something as a memory and a lesson without having it haunting you and crippling right. you. Yeah. And at this point it's not clear to me which it is. Yeah, we'll find out later on. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, the, maybe. the other anyway, the so chapter... the, the, Yeah, oh, the beginning of the chapter, because that guy got beat up, um, he had to be transferred, right? I mean, even mm -hmm. though the sister saved him, he was in the hospital, mm -hmm. and they transferred him to some other place. And the new liaison officer comes in, Captain Morrison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this guy has a totally different outlook, totally different uh, attitude. And he says, um, by God, he was good. And uh, he, uh, you know, he spoke Arabic fluently and half a dozen dialects of it. And he mm -hmm. came up and he was a shy, different manner, very unlike uh, her word. There was no professional charm, yeah. job, charm, and it was difficult to believe that he was in the army. He seemed just like an ordinary person. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And he basically is mending uh, the fences here. Right. Right? Yeah. And, so, so uh, okay. The other thing that happens here is that, of course, mm. before all this, he drops Connie off in Burma or wherever, where he you know, ends up living in a house with a bunch of half-naked women. Bali. 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 Yeah. 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 Right? And so, and then and kind of wonders if anything's going to happen. He goes, no, he's never had any dealings with women. He's like a priest, yeah. whatever that means. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was that was just an interesting. Um, it feels Dynamic. like there's some odd parallels here, 
mm. between Connie's relationship with the women, you know, there and his relationship with Connie's sister, Connie's relationship with Connie's sister. I'm not sure right. what the parallels are. Um, whether yeah, Connie is becoming. Yeah, if you wait, yeah, if you wait, it'll get more interesting. <laughs> okay, you wait, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, okay. But here's the thing that, that no, okay. There's one other point I wanted to make talking about this this new officer. Yeah. Uh, is that the liaison? So the one thing that does become clear mm. is that, as far as we can tell, this mm. whole kerfuffle was caused by the liaison officer himself. He was the prime mover in this, you know, whole scandalous uh, situation with the rumors and the and everything. And it wasn't like his higher ups were the pressuring region. him to do this. Yeah, yeah. The region, because this, yeah, it's because really, this liaison officer. And he's able to relate to the situation and act uh, differently. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. Now, it, now, it still doesn't prove to me that the liaison officer was the prime mover. He could have just been the hatchet man who did the dirty work, you know, really got killed for it. And when he saw how badly it went, the regent uh, decided to back off and let this other guy handle it, right? It's not entirely clear to me that the regent is blameless in any of this, but it's also not clear that he's guilty either, right? It could just be it all happened at the lower level. Of, the region. Then he had a change of mind with this guy in charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah because we never. Or he was just the, yeah. Reasons, yeah. We never either. We don't. Yes, we don't know. But one thing I have noticed, which is interesting, mm. uh, is that it's hardest to be humane when you are carrying out somebody else's orders. Like yeah. I am cruelest at. Uh, 7.15 in the morning when I'm trying to get the kids mm. out the door to school. Because mm. it's not me that's responsible. It's the whole school system and the weight of civilization, like your kids have to be in school on time, Yeah, that is driving that decision. As opposed to like, hey, I want to go have coffee with you. I can be more flexible when it's just me. Yeah. So, I, and, and, so I still want to make the same point I made before. It's like, yeah, given all of this, clearly he had some uh, you know, it seems likely he had, a, certainly he could have handled it far more gracefully than he did. Right. But yeah. I still feel like uh, that your perception of him as like just doing this because he could, you know, seems not necessarily wrong, but uncharitable, ungracious. See, right? it the, could be the, a man. See, I would have thought that before this guy came on the scene. Huh? I would have thought that, but the British have what? Sorry. about you know whether he was carrying out the regent's order or he himself had this feeling and he set all the uh, deadlines and you have to leave in two weeks and he has mm -hmm. to go and things like that. Um, but um, but this Morrison coming in here um, again is a little bit difficult because Morrison is an army guy. Uh, ex-army guy, and but he seems to be a reasonable person. Yeah, yeah. He, um, well, he's yeah, definitely he, far from humane. So, so no question that Morrison is is portrayed as a much more sympathetic. And yeah. What was the line we heard last night? A fully formed human being, right? He's hmm. someone who, even though he's working in the military bureaucracy structure, seems like a yeah. normal human being. Now, yeah. that in itself is an interesting phrase. Right. It kind of implies that when someone is part of a uniformed organization, mm. they're expected to submerge their personality 
to right. the role, right? Which right. is right. Right. the whole point, the whole uh, genius of the British Empire and civilization in general is you kind of want people to submerge themselves into their roles. You don't want them right. cutting corners or showing favoritism or being yeah. excessively harsh or excessively lenient, right? Yeah. So yeah. one could make a case that the first guy, well, so there's two possibilities. One is that, like, we have two sort of extreme examples here. We have this guy who is unnaturally humane and yeah. this guy who's a total jerk, right? Yeah. And the easy one, you know, there's several different ways you can explain that. One is to say that's just their personality and, you know, neither of them are really normative. Or you could say, you know, that, well, being a jerk is actually the typical bureaucrat and this other guy is unnaturally humane. Yeah. Uh, the, but I still don't think either of that disagrees with the point that I was trying to make. Mm. But I think you tended to violently disagree with at the time. I'm not sure if you still do. Which is that, you know, this guy um, may have genuinely thought he was doing the right thing based on his prior experiences in dealing with colonial problems. And yeah. that's why he was so harsh. I mean, the, the, the thing that's bizarre to me about his behavior is not that he was so harsh, but that he was oddly lenient. Like, he seemed really angry that this had happened, but he was also total, like, totally, that he was, like, willing to cut Cutter some slack and give him time and not hold him blameful or harm to pay back the money or any of those things. Um, he really just wanted to get chocolate out of the way, right? And so the thing that's suspicious to me mm. is that if the money was the problem, he could have mm. ordered Cutter to take the buyout and give back the money to the sheik, right? And that would have solved the sheik's money problem, Yeah. right? But, but, but the first officer either seemed to think that was too harsh or mm. – uh, what he was really upset was, was this Shockland character who had such influence among the natives and that, yeah, you know, the argument yeah. in that case is that, well, he wasn't really worried about the public money. opinion or stability or any of that. Sorry, you still there? Yeah, no, public opinion, but not, not the money part, but from the <laughs> interference with the local culture and local religion. Right? Well, no, no, not in that, but it's, well, from a British, that's kind of rich. Uh, right. <laughs> I dare you interfere. Yeah, no, because you know they talk about that right. in the, the thing because he's but, not. But no, but, no, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. So the thing is, is that that, that they find disturbing. Uh, well, one could argue a more uh, um, serious charge is that they were hmm. jealous of Shockland's influence. Probably. So it yeah, wasn't that they were. It could be all of the above. Yeah, and he, probably is not, and he certainly does come, not come across as the sort of person who is self-reflective enough to disentangle those. Right, right. right. But what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting to me is that, it seems like a lot of my conversations come up, uh, oh, that was the, uh, my previous podcast with, uh, with Robbie, uh, I was, mm. the, the title for it was Intention in Tension. Mm. Is that we uh, and and you know it's important to mine the gold of good intentions to try to find out the good things that the person wants, but it's dangerous to either assume the best or assume the worst. Like if you assume that everyone always has good intentions, you'll be mm. you know foolish. 
but if you assume everyone always has bad intentions, you'll be alone, <laughs> right? And neither is well, very this healthy. goes to I mean the thing that we talk about for the past six months or something. Nobody's totally evil. Nobody's totally good, and everybody has their good side. Even the real quote bad guys have good things. Um, good right. side of them. They're, they're kind of their family, whatever. We talk about it all the time. So uh, I'm not surprised at that. So right. Because but I then, believe I mean, in the, that. The, so I'm not surprised. You seem to be saying that they need to be, the intentions have to be good or intentions have to be bad. No, not necessarily. Certain things the intentions well, are good, certain things they're not good. Well, okay, yeah. I guess using the, the philosophy terminology is, yeah. is um, uh, some intention. Well, okay, this is an interesting thing. Uh, what is the atomic unit of good or evil? Like we say, we don't want to think about people as being good or bad, but do we say that actions are good or bad? Well, that seems harder to do because, you know, some things can be good in the short term, bad in the long term, like that. And then yeah. the third one is that, well, what about intentions? Can intentions be good or bad? Um, and is that the level where you can tear, tease apart the actions and it seems like that's not necessarily, uh, or attitudes. Like we talked about how love for children to love for country is one of them intrinsically good or intrinsically bad. Mm. Yeah. Like I could argue of at least as far as the different things we've discussed about people and character and actions and attitudes, I'm more comfortable saying or ranking intentions as good or evil uh, than I am any of those other things. Okay. Um, you know, not that everything because is that's, 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 the way. If you feel comfortable with that, then go with it. Yeah. Okay. But like, so the, my, uh, I don't know if I ever told you about the two and a half sins of radical centrism. Um, no. I wrote a manifesto back in 2001 after 9-11 trying to summarize my philosophy. And mm. part of it is there's a statement that everyone wants to believe they are good. Mm. And What's interesting is that, you know, is the way that I categorize it, the wise examine consequences. Mm. It's like when they're trying to decide how good they are, they'll say, okay, what are the consequences of my actions, thoughts, decisions, mm. actions, et cetera, on others? Mm. Yeah. Um, the wicked shrinks community. Like I will mm. decide if my actions are good. If they're good for this small circle of people, I don't care what happens to those outside. So that's right. one thing. That's what I call it. A, a wicked intention is that there's this group of people some of whom benefit me, but yeah. I refuse to consider the consequences of my actions for them. That's one form of wickedness. That's, a, okay. that's what I would call it, an evil, a wicked intent. Evil is too okay. broad, but more technically wicked is to, okay. uh, to, to exclude a certain group of people from your moral calculation when they have a, okay. a stake to be considered. And then the second right. sin is fools deny reality. So the second type of wickedness is to... Uh, uh, deny things, deny inconvenient truths. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's yeah. like a sin. So like, if this, if, so, so this, in this cosmology, I, I suppose, a desire to exclude people or an intention, that's a good word, an intention to exclude people okay. or an intention to deny reality is mm. things that tend toward evil. Conversely, mm. an intention to try to include mm. people, an intention mm. to try to increase alignment with reality is good uh, okay and so it can be executed poorly but at least that intention okay. is good I, and so I in that sense that. yeah 
the um, you know the way Connie framed it is like when um, uh, Cutter gives up comfort and wealth and security and family obligation to uh, take care of this messy situation in the Middle East that could have you know, massively mm. disrupted lots of people's lives. Right. Uh, that was a noble intention. Right. Uh, a, a good intention. And so, you know, I don't know if that's, uh, I'm going to stick yeah. with that theory, but at least the moment it feels uh, a, okay. a useful yeah. way to. Right. Message. And you can also say that, you know, there's, at the very beginning is sort of in your intent, and at the very end in the sense of long-term consequences, it's right. relatively easy to, uh, it's relatively easy to sort of assign good or evil. Yeah. Uh, it's in the middle, it gets much more complicated. Right. right. And much more uh, convex. So. Okay. I want to get back to the story here uh, between the, the conversation between Morrison and uh, Cutter. And he invites okay. him for dinner, and, and Carter doesn't even have a dinner jacket. <laughs> so, yeah. But Morrison, being you know British, think about those things. But Morrison says, "Don't worry about it." And so they have dinner, and then he asks him a question: um, "What do you really think about uh, Shacklin, Mr. Carter? What sort of person?" And he says, "He's a very good chap." But some people think he's divine. Uh, uh, he says, and then Carter says, "He's not." He's just a very good ground engineer with a bee in his bonnet. I paused and I said, if I thought he was divine, I couldn't very well dictate my letters to his sister. No, he said thoughtfully. <laughs> uh, and the interesting thing is, yes. um, and he says, I can assure you there's nothing like that. I said positively. That was the first time I denied him. And, and, oh, and oh. Interesting, yeah, interesting to me then, um, Little later, uh, they keep talking, and then I think he says that's the second time I denied him. <laughs> yeah, and and I think he denies him three times. <laughs> I think he says, I, "Yeah, when when he finishes the whole thing, <laughs> and then he keeps going, uh, uh, and then so you think that there is a." He's copying Peter. <laughs> I mean, it definitely seems like he's alluding to that directly, right? In the, in the first, second, and three denials. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. self yeah. like because he's really writing this back at the end of his life and looking back on what he did, and it's yeah. really you know ominous. I, I totally missed that or forgot about it in the three weeks since I read that. And yeah. when you read that, it's like, oh my gosh, that's really ominous because you deny three <laughs> yeah, really, really? times right before they're crucified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and what's interesting was the implication. This goes back to the issue uh, of evil intent, uh, of foolish intent, right? Yeah. Of uh, of uh, where he no. his desire to like the, the logic he gives. It's funny that he drags the sister into this too, right? It's like yeah, the second uh, one. Uh, yeah, I, I found the second one, Ernie. Uh, you see, uh, the RAF wants to build uh, some anchors there. And that's why mm -hmm. Morrison actually called him to tell him that the RAF wants to take that land. And, but um, he says, uh, um, he says, all RAF land, of course, says Morrison, it's holy ground, I retorted. Honestly, you've got to put a stop to this. If they prevent the people coming here to pray, you'll have all hell break loose. And Morrison says, that's because it's a bit of the land that Shacklin used for praying on. That's right, I said, it's very holy ground. 
He smiled gently. And yet, you don't think Shacklin is divine. Of course I don't, I said, but other people do. That was the second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but Morrison seems to be a very nice chap. You know, he just smiles. <laughs> right. He, he, he realizes there's a contradiction in Cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I mean, so then, that's the third time. Yeah, that's the third one. Um, then they th- keep talking about this, this land and things like that. Um, they talk about uh, either this cult of Shacklin will die out in a few months or it will increase and be a bigger thing and, and so on. Um, Cutter says, I think I'd agree with that. I think there will be a change. And Morrison says, if we could guess which way the change would be, we can tell the RAF what to do, right? And uh, then, then he said quietly after a little bit, you are saying, in effect, we must work on the assumption that Shacklin is divine. God damn it, I said angrily. I tell you, he's not. I know him. He's just a damn good engineer who's going around the bend a bit. That's all there is to him. That was the third time. Wow. Uh, yeah, so... it definitely, follows, definitely follows the Peter story pretty well, I think. The first is kind of mild. It's like, don't be silly. I'm not a Galilean. But then the last time was with oaths and curses. So I think the author, at least, very deliberately <laughs> is framing yeah. this. But to me, this is interesting because, like, because you know, Peter did that too. Peter did yeah, that very too. much. Look, right, right. the third <laughs> one is with oaths and curses, curse. right? Yeah, <laughs> we did that in our. I should link back to the uh, Peter episode from DBJ. Yeah, um, in the show notes for this episode. But what was interesting to mm. me mm. is that uh, I was talking to you about my two sins. Mm. Uh, which is your know, wickedness is kind of easy to see. I'm just going to ignore those people. But okay. foolishness, it's hard to see why that's a sin. It's like just denying reality. It's like, is that really a sin? Isn't that just being confused or mistaken? But this is like the perfect example of that, is that mm. there is a truth that mm. is very obvious and explains everything, but mm. it is uh, to accept that truth would mean having mm. to surrender all these other conveniences and comfort. Mm. And so yeah. he expends this energy to deny mm. that truth rather than mm. face that reality. And mm. he himself yeah. is in retrospect describing that as a sin. And what's interesting mm. is that um, uh, my father-in-law, your, your, uh, Phil G, sent me an article by his pastor, who's also an executive coach. And mm. it talks about brain freeze uh, in mm. the context of amygdala triggers. Do you remember discussing amygdalas? Before, did you and I have that conversation? I don't think it's so. like the part of the brain that stores the stores like kind of the core memories and the most primal responses. Yeah, primal uh, my son thing, Rohan yeah. for Valentine's yeah for Valentine's Day my son draws amygdalas rather than hearts because that's really where oh, your really? core relationship is. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> he okay. said he was going to do that. I don't think he's ever done hmm. anything like that since then. But that's the joke is that that's the thing that really is the seat of your emotions. Yeah. And and what he said was is that the things that trigger a brain freeze are either something that is inconsistent or threatens one of the core pillars of your identity Mm. or a reminder of past trauma. Mm. And I'm not sure if those are two different things, but I still thought those were two really good categories. Is that Mm. like for him to, if he consciously entertains a thought that Shacklin was divine, you know, it would like wreak havoc with his business. And I think it's with his relationship with his sister, 
even as much as he denied that at the end of the right. chapter. Right, yeah, he connects that. Uh, yeah, no, he connects that to it. That was kind of weird. It's like I couldn't, it, it would have made a lot more sense to me. How can I kiss the sister if he was alive? Right, yeah, right? God's sister. Uh, you, that, God, you cannot kiss God's sister. Yeah, that's just the thing is. The, the other thing is, actually, there's two questions. So the first one is sort of a relational thing, the first denial. The mm. second denial is about. Um, the, uh, the the RAF territory, like when he agrees that the ground is holy, he says, mm-hmm. "Well, so that implies that he's a you know divine figure who made it holy." He goes, oh, "No, no, 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 I would just he dis- yeah. he he distances himself from it." To um, and then in the third one, he this is starting to get a little personal here. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that he the the thought of him being divine? Uh, mm. is so uh, unsettling mm. that he insists that Shacklin is mentally unstable. He's going round the bend a little bit. Mm. Uh, you know, kind of to me, I would interpret that as saying he's delusional or okay. obsessive. Okay, well, let's stop right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's continue that later on. No, let's continue that. But I'm, I, I look at it differently. I okay. looked at it as a uh, different way. I felt that that's how Jesus was treated. The prophet is not honored in his own place. And they said the mm-hmm. same thing about Jesus, right? Isn't this the carpenter's son? On one side, they said, we know who he is. He's just a carpenter's son. And then, you know, that's because of uh, the Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Like that. Right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the, here he says, uh, um, third time he denies him, and he says, uh, Morrison says gently, a damn good engineer who's going around the bend a bit, he said thoughtfully, it wouldn't have been a bad description of the Prophet Muhammad, only he was a damn good merchant. Mm. So... Uh, uh, but you know, so to, you look at it again. It all depends upon your own personality, your own background, your own uh, uh, experiences. I looked at it this way: all prophets are treated that way. Jesus was treated that way. So, and he was. People denied him too. His close friends denied him. So, so father, I have I to ask at, the question. I, I have yeah. to ask the question. Why do you say yeah. our perspectives are different? <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> what, what exactly is the difference between my perspective and yours? Because you're identifying with people misunderstanding you, so calling mental illness. That's where you're going. And how is that know, different than what you said? This, this is, is exactly the place about to talk about. The whole reason we're doing these series, Dad, is like, what's the difference? I want you to what say you it out what's loud. The... What do you mean? Okay, I'll, I'll say it out loud. So you perceive it, Ernie. That's so you perceive it. But no, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we perceive things any differently. Yeah. I mean, are you saying that the difference is that I think I'm talking, it's, it, 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 it makes me think about me, and it makes you think about profit. Right? Yeah. No, I was not Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. Well, you said, but the Jesus That's or the prophets, right? Yeah. And so, like, um, the... So um, I'm looking at it purely with the, with the lens that I have, with the uh, rose-colored glasses that I have. To me, this paragraph 
reminding me of Jesus. Um, whereas from, from your background, uh, we can talk about it openly now. We can say it because uh, we had a long-standing uh, argument going whether you had a mental illness or whether it was a personality. Uh, okay. And uh, I think, you know, at that time, I was looking at it from a medical point of view and looking at it and saying that this is a mental illness and uh, with the information I had then. And uh, isn't that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Whereas you felt that it was not. Am I saying that right? That's true. Yeah. Well, well actually, yeah. The, the problem the problem that came with was like it and the, like all these pronouns was where mm. we got into so much confusion, right? So just for the record, right. for those listening here, right? Mm. The, my current best understanding yeah. uh, is precisely this, that I have um, a histrionic personality style, which results in me getting very agitated and animated uh, when I get triggered. Okay, so that's okay. one dynamic I have, that I respond to things yeah. by, in philosophy, we'd say taking on the anger role rather than say the fear role when I feel threatened. Okay. So that's, that's a mm. style I have. The mm. second thing is I do have some very, a very um, uh, one-sided, uh, fairly mild form of hypomania in that I will periodically go into phases where I sleep less and I am more excitable. Uh, and display a, a number of other symptoms that are reminiscent of uh, the manic side of hypomania. Uh, I just finished right. reading a book about hypomania, and it talks about, mm. like, you know, there's classic hypomania, there's two or three diagnoses, but there's all these behaviors in the middle that don't fit neatly in any category. We don't even know for ourselves whether that's one thing or several things, even if they all, you know, have a connection to the mood regulation, right? Right. Um, so, there's, so there's something kind of like that, I think, uh, uh, hypersthenia is the best label I found for something like what I have, which is only manic and never depressive. And it's more sort of a constant elevation with occasional episodes. So like, okay, so I have that thing, right? Um, but to me, what is interesting and what I was kind of poking at, and I'll be more explicit because I was maybe confusing in the way I was saying it before, is that, so there were many things going on at the same time. Like one, I was, you know, highly stressful situation. And one thing I did discover way at the very end is that in fact, uh, apparently stressful situations can trigger manic episodes. So it's yes. not like a one or another thing. It could be one, then the other, right? right. So I was in a very right. stressful environment, which probably also triggered, uh, let's just use a more neutral phrase, some breakdown of my mood regulation systems. Okay. So that I became even more hyper and energetic. And it's like, so all those things were happening. But at the same time, you know, from my perspective, I was just literally trying to hear Jesus and do what I thought he wanted me to do. Okay. And that, uh, like, you know, Sackland's efforts in um, this place, A, led to things sort of spiraling out of control. <laughs> In, in, in a number of dimensions uh, yeah. based on a lot of factors. But one of the factors that I feel like was this uh, sort of amygdala brain freeze thing that mm. uh, Phil Dew's uh, pastor was talking about, Mike Fisher, 
mm. that uh, is that, um, and I don't blame you for this because we were all under extreme stress, including me, and we all acted in ways that were not helpful for each other. So I understand okay. that. We've talked about reinventive grace, but right. I think I should at least acknowledge that mm. I feel like one of the dynamics in play then was the mm. same sort of a thing is that uh, something about the way I was thinking or acting uh, uh, triggered something that either brought back a memory of past trauma or threatened one of the pillars of your identity. And okay. that's why I think your brain freeze kind of got stuck in this um, focus on the um, psychological symptoms in a way that made it nearly impossible or for a long time made it impossible for us to talk about any of the other aspects. Okay. Okay, thank you so, for hearing me. Yeah. So what I said was, you are looking at this part of the chapter here and identified with it. Didn't you? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and that's perfectly natural. I had had a similar experience like you did, and I read this passage. I would think that people are misjudging this guy, and they're saying he's going around the band. Mm -hmm. and so, but I looked at it from a totally different point of view because I didn't go through what you went through. So I looked at it as if it was, he's comparing him to Jesus. The denial, and then um, they thought, you know, he was mad, he was demon possessed, and and uh, was an ordinary guy. And those closest to him didn't recognize him as divine. Right. So that's how I looked at it. Right. And so, like, but okay. Let me just say this out explicitly uh, because it's worth just getting it on the tape for fun. Is that? I look at it the same way too, because when yeah. I was going through this mm. myself with mm. you know, my wife and, and my father having these reactions to me, it occurred mm. to me more than once, A, this is what Jesus went through. Yeah. And this may be why he went through it. So for me, reading myself into this passage and you reading Jesus into the passage, well, I read Jesus into myself as well. So that's why I didn't see it yeah. as being that different of an interpretation. Okay. You came at it from a different direction, but yeah. you're kind of seeing the same thing, I think. That's why I think, I think there's a thing there, which is, to me, it's, we're seeing the same thing just from different directions rather than seeing different yeah. things. That's what I said from each other's perspective, but I may use the wrong word. But you said okay, okay, fair enough. That's what you yeah. mean. Yeah, so but I, yeah, I'm not as good yeah. with the words like you are, Ernie. I mean, and, and, you know, and, I use and, sometimes and, it's the wrong and, word. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, words are just what yeah. we use. So there's yeah. no. That's why I'm, that's my next project is is replacing the English language because it's too confusing. But. <laughs> good luck with that. So yeah, well, hopefully by next Thursday we'll have something ready for you to look at for the long okay. project. All it's not right. like you replace all of it, but you well, actually this mm. is the way you do it. Uh, mm. You create a a um, contrived situation mm. where you uh, uh, using mathematics or computers or something where you precisely mm. define what's going and say, okay, this thing here is what I mean by this word. 
And then you can look and say, rather than say, well, this is, rather than saying, um, you know, what this, this word means, you point yeah. and you say this situation here. And I think that's what's interesting to me, like using words like Messiah complex or round the bend, um, you know, it's hard to know what you mean because those come from different, like even when we say round the bend, is he saying these literally mentally yeah. delusional right. or does it just yeah. mean that he, uh, you know, yeah. a little carried away, you know, yeah. but like, but in this case, we do have a self-contained story that by the yeah. end will at least get a set of information about right. what actually did and did not happen. And right. so, and, and the idea of the computer program is sort of even more rigorous and well-bounded than a fictional story hmm. in that you can actually, like the thing about a computer is that it does not, it is, it is um, literally brain dead and that it has no knowledge of outside context. All it right. has is specifically the context that you inherit from the environment or if you're careful enough, you define precisely in the program. Right. Um, Siri thought I was talking about her when I started talking about computers. Um, yeah. Siri is the opposite of brain dead. She is too aware of her environment and can interpret things inappropriately, whereas uh, a traditional computer program is much more rigid in or out, yes or no. Anyway, so. Okay, well, no, good. I think um, there's one of the things we may have missed. Um, okay. I don't know where it comes. Um, you can tell me whether you heard this. Before um, pre, uh, in the previous chapter, Carter spends two weeks in Bali, right? Mm -hmm. Getting uh, where it happens, huh? settled. Getting Shockland settled yeah. or before? Yeah. No. Did he did he spend two weeks there, or is it coming later on? No, I think he did because he had oh, to no, set up the whole base on. there and moving equipment and. Okay. Okay. So the, first, the, the, the only time he's been no. there was setting up the base, getting hmm. all the equipment. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So no, so no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. I, I was wrong. Yeah, it didn't come. Uh, it's going to come later on. So okay, uh, so some uh, more time. Okay. Yeah, this chapter is concerned. He's uh, Gujar Singh goes there, and uh, after they, he came back settling him, he asked him uh, how's everything going, and uh, he says uh, they're very happy there, and uh, then uh, slowly he says. Um, uh, I was just a bit worried they might not have fitted in. That woman, uh, is she looking after them? I think so. Her daughter brings the food. Is that the good-looking right. girl they made? Jasmine, mm -hmm. uh, they call her maid. Uh, um, she, and then he wants to know, um, there's another girl, takes care of Finnet, and uh, is he behaving himself? Uh, um, I don't think so. The village would probably be very insulted if he did. And yeah, basically he's living with the other guy, Pinnitz. He's living with the other guy. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, what about Mede? He thinks nothing of Pinnitz, and but Mede only serves the teacher. Is she getting any joy out of that? No joy. He shook his head. And so this is: Will the village take that as an insult? No. Um, but in any case, it's different from Finnet. The village knows it. Finnet is one of them, but Shacklin is different. So, uh, so they, basically, Shacklin is not um, sleeping with the, that guard. Right. Yeah, and, we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, they, uh, he talks to the sister about that, uh, about what Guja said, and she said, "I talked to him also." 
and he's never had a girlfriend uh, or never seemed interested. Yeah, yeah right. And then, then he says, "I'm going to go there. Take, uh, so, do you want to come with me?" Uh, and she doesn't want to go. And he wants to know why. Why don't you? What's wrong with Bali? And basically, she says that um, uh, um, she says the girl will get. Uh, scared or something. Um, basically, she says, that's why I don't want to go because uh, I think by coming there, will she's in love with him. That girl is in love with uh, Jacqueline. And if I come there, then she would uh, really uh, get off scared. So jealous or? Jealous. Yeah. Not jealous, scared. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, that she's coming to like take his place. Uh, oh, right. If she moved yeah. there and lived with him, she would kind of take his place as the girl watching o over him or whatever. Yeah, right. Something like that because um, they think she's a prophet or something. Um, well, there's that too, right? Uh, basically, I might frighten her. Yeah, here it is. Uh, why don't you want to go to Bali then? I might frighten her and spoil it. I see. And she's just a village girl and. Uh, uh, if ever Connie had a chance of knowing what love means, it's now. And if he can have that, I think he may snap out of all the prophet stuff and come back oh, to so as a normal so she, man. Oh, okay. So why so do you think she, you'll frighten uh, her? A... Yeah. Why do you think you'll frighten her? You are on her side. If she's a village girl like that, she'll never believe it. Different clothes, different speech, different color. But turned up there as his sister, she'd be terrified of me and angry too because she'd think that I resented her and wanted to take him from her. I'd never get her right. to believe that I want her to have him. Uh, yeah. Then she says, uh, I think I'll have to keep away. Um, so he says, would you rather I kept clear of them myself? No, no, it'll be helpful if you went. And uh, uh, so he says, you want me to push him into it? I do. She says, she wasn't laughing at all. I think that's the only thing to save him now. And yeah. So that's how it is going. Well, that's profound. There's two things. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Only one thing she said softly, what's that? I think he'll turn into a prophet. Uh, I don't know how a man becomes a prophet, she said, but thousands of people spread all over the East, they think he's one already. I suppose that if a person gives up earthly things and preaches a new, simple way of life to people who are hungry for his teaching, I suppose that's what a prophet is. And... and they keep talking about that. So there's Who says that, the girl or Cutter? Cutter, talking to Cutter. Uh, that's uh, the sister says. I think it's okay. the prophet that all this thing is from uh, uh, So So she basically thinks that, you know, all the people, uh, if a person gives up earthly things, preaches a new simple way of life to people who are hungry for his teaching, I suppose that's what a prophet is. That's what the sister says. Right, so and she's afraid he'll become a prophet. She wishes to get yeah. married and settle down. Yeah. So it's interesting this tension between marriage and holiness, right? It's mm. like you know, it's like clearly if he like you married a girl and settled down, he would no longer be a prophet. Right, right. Just yeah. very much mm. like the way Cutter is like, okay, I could settle down and live this good life with this girl here in England, or I could be moral and do the right thing. And yeah. it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the Christian church for a thousand years or so was kind of caught in that mindset that yeah. you 
like the, the really holy ones were the ones. And like, there's a certain truth to that. And that's like, the more you give up for something, yeah. you know, the, the easiest evidence it is that you're serious about something. I was talking about that with Robbie yeah. and the other podcast. But, yeah. but more than that, there is this, um, and I, I can certainly, you know, but, you know, Paul talks about it too. It's really hard to serve God and have a wife. Um, but it's, it's, it's always been sort of paradoxical to me because clearly, you know, Adam was married and Noah was married and David was overly married. And, you know, the Jewish priests and rabbis were all married. And yeah. somehow that gap, uh, and, and that, that, that thing Peter flipped was when no. Peter was married. He may have been widowed at some yeah. point. Uh, uh, but yeah, somehow the, the, uh, the trope, and you know, I feel like it was necessary uh, at the time the, because of all the con uh, the cultural constructs around there, and that, and it is uh, an argument I've been trying to have with this uh, Catholic uh, abbot that I went to visit. Is that mm. well, maybe it is possible to be fully sold out for God and also be married and living in the world, uh, mm. but I have not yet proved my thesis, so I have to wait and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. if I can uh, uh, square that argument. So anyway, the next part of it is uh, the Sheikh wants to go see his, uh, see Jacqueline. Ah, in okay, Bali. I think I do remember that. So thing. basically, okay. uh, that's the rest of the chapter is about planning that. And he, he said, I'll go uh, two weeks earlier, a uh, week earlier, and get everything ready, and uh, this Sheikh can come then. So that's what they are arranging it. And he goes there, and he um, he, he uh, basically uh, wanders around the village and uh, gets settled there. Carter goes first. Okay. So and then, and then they, or... they do they do have a um, ceremony. So last conversation is he he talks to him and says, um, uh, "Don't you believe I'm." Shacklin says, can't you believe that I'm a normal man, that I like to draw off my pay for doing nothing and be lazy? No, I said it would be all too easy if you're like that. Why do you think I'm not? If you're, you'd be living with marriage as me if you were as you say. Uh, so basically, he says, you're, you're not normal. <laughs> you haven't you've taken advantage of And neither of are you. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, Basically, he's, uh, so he asked again. Uh, then he asked him, he smiled, and you, he said, are you an ordinary man? I wasn't ready for that one. You mean, I'm a fine one to talk? I know that you have been married and that uh, it ended in a tragedy. But is that any reason why you should not marry again? Will you ever be really happy till you do? Cutter says, all very well to swing it over onto me like this. It's you that I was talking about, you and my <laughs> <laughs> He smiled, and I was talking about you. That's not fair, I said. Stick to the subject. <laughs> so, All right, I have a one o'clock, Dad. Okay, Ma. Yeah. Yeah, basically. All right. Okay. All right, we'll take over from uh, Chapter 9 next week. Okay, yeah. Okay, Ma, one second. Yeah. Okay. Love you, Ernie. Okay. I will talk again. Love you, Dad. Okay, Ma. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.